0: Here they all are now, from Nudio and Urvacolix up in the north, all the way down to Malmö <clears throat> and to Trelleborg down on the south coast there, looking over to Tenmark and Germany and Poland, tis the Irish in Sweden, and we're back again for another week of this crack. And I was driving into my little studio there this morning just before getting ready to talk to you all, and it was one of those lovely autumn mornings with a little bit of uh, sunshine in the sky, you know that sort of... It's, the leaves are starting to get brown, but there's that sort of golden light around the place. So it was an absolutely beautiful morning in Stockholm. But the thing is that when you live in a country like this one and you know there's four very, very distinct, very different seasons, you know it's not going to last for long before it's bloody freezing and uh, it's only bright for a few hours in the middle of the day. But that's what we're here for. We're here to bring you that little bit of brightness any time of the day or night that you bang your old headphones on and you decide to listen to another episode of the Irish in Sweden podcast. I hope you're well. I hope everything's going according to plan. That uh, you're making that transition from the summer into the autumn and then into the winter that's all going well. Um, there's a lot going on in the Irish community here. You're going to hear all about a few different events, and then we're going to hear from uh, somebody who <laughs> has some very important things to say ahead of this winter. I'm joined this week, uh, a little bit later on in the show, by Warren O'Neill from Nabla Analytics down below in Gothenburg. And Warren is an expert when it comes to electricity and electricity markets. So I said, What oh, better man to be chatting with now about how to keep your light bulbs turned off and how the prices are set and what we need to keep an eye on the electricity market as I'm talking to. there has been what some people are calling an attack on the Nord Stream gas pipelines there's two of them and uh, apparently there was a couple of underwater explosions the other day. Some people are saying it was the Russians that did it. Other people are saying it was the Americans that did it. Some people are saying they don't know who did it. Uh, but somebody did it anyway. And, you know, with the way energy prices are and the way oil prices are at the moment, every all of this is going to have an effect on us. So I wanted to get Warren's insight into why all this matters. Now, I spoke to him before the explosions happened. So that's why we don't bring that up. But he was able to give me an idea about, you know, what we can do as consumers and all these other, you know, small teams around you know just so we can understand what it is that's going on because even if you live here for a long time like i have and you have a deal with one of the electricity companies you don't exactly know how that works all the time you know i mean uh and i'm not sure you know my missus is swedish you know lived here most of her life etc i'm not sure she does either so i decided to get in touch with warren and uh have a little check in with him, see if he can explain that for me. But there's a few bits of housekeeping first. Um, one is I wanted to let you know that I've been talking to Neil Costigan above there in Lulio and I've committed to him, right, that I'm going to travel up there probably a Thursday in the near future and I'll come back down on the Friday. Uh, I'm looking around about the middle to the end of October. So you're talking around about the 20th of October is when I'm taking a heading up there. So if you're listening up there, get in touch because I want to talk to you face to face. Jesus, I might even buy you a drink if you're kind to me. I may not if you're rude, but uh, I want to find out what's going on up there. I want to meet the Irish community that are up there. Uh, I'm going to be up there for sort of 24 hours-ish. So if you you uh, you know, if you want to invite me to your place of work, if there's a load of Irish people working there, if there's a Gaelic football training session, which I probably will probably won't be this time of the year. But yeah. Let's meet up, let's go up there, let's uh, sit down, have a bite to eat, have a drink and find out what the Irish community above in Lulio is all about. Now, obviously Neil is going to be able to open a load of doors for me, but you're the listeners to this podcast. You produce this with me every week, right? So if you have a story to tell and you're above in Lulio, uh, I want to hear about it. Um, thanks, by the way, to everybody who got in touch about Morty McCarthy last week and indeed Nigel O'Reilly the week before that. They were two hugely popular podcasts and you can see why. Nigel's an absolutely brilliant artist. Uh, although, you know, he only lived in Stockholm for a brief period, as you would have heard in the episode it was something that formed him. And Morty just, I mean, it's like this, the amount of stories that man has to tell. Kind of left that conversation thinking, you know, both with Nigel and Nigel's wife, Tracy and with Morty. So it's like, we're only starting to peel that particular onion and crying with the laughter while we're doing it. So we may have to go back to those particular gentlemen and families and uh, hear a little bit more about what they have to say. But that's for another day. We'll concentrate on who's above Lulio for the time being in the coming weeks. Uh, Before that, there's a couple of things I'd like to tell you about. One is a job that's going at uh, the Irish Embassy here, right? Now, it's not the kind of job where, oh, you're Irish, so let's go and apply for it, right? What they're looking for is an officer for the upcoming EU presidency, right? So it's a contract job, it goes from sort of December this year until august of next year so i think ireland has the eu presidency at the start of next year right now it's quite a qualified job lads so as i say it's not just you know i have an irish passport i'm going to apply for this and uh, we'll see right so if you if you don't feel you're qualified don't do it because you'll just end up annoying the poor people there and making the poor people at the department of foreign affairs go through a whole heap of applications that nothing to do with it right so what they're looking for is uh, somebody who's going to be, you know, I'll read it out to you here, a highly motivated, enthusiastic and hardworking person with excellent communication and interpersonal skills to fill a temporary, full-time EU presidency officer position for the duration of Sweden's, Sweden's upcoming presidency of the Council of the EU, not Ireland's. I got that completely wrong. So uh, we're going to have that job here in the, when Sweden are the presidents of the EU, not the Irish. and. You know, it seems to me to be, you know, sort of a political job, an advisor job. It's somebody who speaks both Irish and Swedish fluently, right? So if you have the cupola in Swedish, knock on me enough, lads, right? They're also looking for uh, the job was monitoring, analysing, reporting in English on political and economic developments here. Undertaking protocol tasks, whatever they may be, in connection with visiting delegations. I'm sure that's all sort of, you know, what toy to wear, et cetera, et cetera assisting in the organisation of embassy-hosted events, uh, going to official briefings and events, uh, providing administrative support to the embassy, working with documents in both Swedish and English, and other things that may crop up along the way, right? So what they're looking for is a person who has a degree already, um, preferably in the area of international relations, of political science, law, event management, or some sort of related area. Proven ability to build relationships, etc. Fully bilingual lads, right? Fully bilingual. None of this. Ah, you know, I might just get you won't get away with it. Fully bilingual is what they're looking for. And this will kind of appeal maybe to somebody in our community who was born here in Sweden and speaks the language at that level. Because I'd say that's really the important part is to understand Swedish and the nuance of that. Uh, Obviously, you have to have a legal right to reside and to work in Sweden. And you have to be able to use Excel and Word and all these other things as well. And then there's all the soft skills that go with it, right? So it's from December 2022 to August 2023, 40 hours a week uh the salary is there all that is on the department of foreign affairs irish embassy sweden website so go and have a look there and um uh, all of the details about how you apply are there right the the final date for applications uh half past four very specific half past four local time monday the 31st of october seven okay the feast of halloween uh that's when you have to do it and um then they'll basically take it from there. But it sounds like a really interesting job for the right person. And as I say, it might be, you know, a young person who was born here, studied political science, looking for a first or second job in that field. And for nine months, I think it'll be a very exciting job for you to take on, right? A job that requires slightly less qualification, but no less interpersonal skills. Our good friend and our sponsors at Veerstum's pub there in Gamla Stan are looking for a bartender slash waiter slash waitress slash general dog's body to help out the wonderful Martin Hessian in his pub there, right? This is a job that has floated around. I think um, Angus has done it for a little while there from the Stockholm Gas Soccer team. I think Joe O'Neill has been behind the bar there. There's been loads of people. Uh, Ian Taylor has been behind the bar there many years ago as well. You know, So it's a great place to work. It's the perfect job for a student somebody maybe over here in Erasmus I don't think there's a huge need to be able to speak Swedish obviously helps if you can but if you can't doesn't matter get in there do your shift in there Martin will look after you a few bob in the bank etc continue your studies do what you're doing um, again you have to be over 18 you can walk away there and it's just a great a great place to work. Martin's a great fellow to work with and I really really am grateful to him for the sponsorship that he gives this podcast every month so just drop in ask for Martin Hessian tell him the Irish and Sweden podcast sent you uh, tell him i are looking for a job there could be a great start for somebody who's only moved over to Sweden and is looking to get a few bob in the bank and just be able to pay their rent or their expenses or whatever have something to do there so uh go into martin tell him why sent you great blog to work for and obviously the best irish pub not just in in stockholm not just into in the whole world, lads, right? And I'm Jesus, I've been to most of them right now. So a great place to go in there and get stuck in. Before we get to Warren O'Neill, because I'm sure Warren O'Neill and his extended family are sitting there going, would this fella ever stop waffling to I get to this uh, interview? But there are one or two more bits of housekeeping. I just, uh, to stay on the right side of Sophie Murphy, which is always a wise thing to do, and the right side of the Swedish Irish Society... Um, Just a couple of events that they have coming up, right? The exclusive Oysters and Guinness evening. That's on the 15th of October in Stockholm in Bilkastan. You have to register for that event. SwedishIrish.com forward slash events. There's a Halloween spooky ghost walk on the 30th of October, right? From 4 o'clock to 5 o'clock down in Gamla Stan in the old town. I think it's about 50 people are welcome there. So uh, that'll be for the kids, right? Uh, The Christmas children's event, the 26th of November. Santa Claus. I just got news this morning. Santa Claus will definitely be in, in attendance there. Right. So he's taken time out. Obviously the busiest time of the year for Santa Claus, but he's taken a few hours off, so he's gonna come down to Stockholm and be there. So any of the children in the Swedish Irish community are more than welcome to attend. That's the twenty-sixth of November Uh, And then the Swedish Irish Society Christmas dinner is on the same day, okay? So the evening of the 26th of November. The details aren't fully decided yet, but that's the day when both the Christmas children's event and the Swedish Irish Society Christmas dinner will be happening. Swedishirish.com forward slash events is where you'll find all the details of all the things that are going on with the Swedish Irish Society. And lastly, in the housekeeping this week, lads this is the time of the year when the AGMs are happening, right? I don't know if the Swedish Hersh Society had it earlier on in the year, but uh, I know the Stockholm Gales one is coming up and they're always looking for people to go on the committee, right? Um, in particular, I would say it's useful for them to have ...Sophie Murphy's generation, right? Young people who speak both Swedish and English... ...who understand Gaelic games... ...and who love the jigs and the reels... ...and the culture and Joyce... ...and all these other things that go with it... ...love the oysters and a pint of stout and that, you know? Get involved. It's a brilliant learning experience. It's a great way to give back to our community, right? Now, I don't expect, uh, you know... ...people who have young families or anything else like that. God knows I did it myself... ...and I drove me missus up the wall... ...all the years I was involved in these things. It may not be ideal if you have very young kids at home... ...but if you feel that you can do it... Get involved because without our community, like every community is very much based on the goodwill of volunteers, right? Of people getting out there and getting involved in our sports clubs, in Lulio GAA, in Malmö GAA, in Gothenburg GAA, right? So go find the people there and say to them, look, I'll get involved in the committee. I can give you a few hours a month. I can be, you know, I understand Swedish and I understand mathematics, so I can be the treasurer because sometimes that's the hardest role to fill. I can be the secretary. I can be, you know, the chairperson, whatever. We have a brilliant chairperson in Stockholm Gales at the moment, Suzanne Hunt, and I really hope she stays on. Boy, Jays, I'll be voting for her to be kept on even if she doesn't want to because she's done such a great job. But, like I say, people do it, and sometimes they burn themselves out, lads, right? That's. I'd advise you not to do that, but get involved there. Try to find a workload that suits you and get involved because we absolutely need people and we need new people all along. I was the chairperson in the past of both the Swedish Irish Society and the Stockholm Girls and to be honest I stayed too long. We needed new ideas, we needed new energy you know but I stayed in there because I was the person who sort of knew everything and that's a dangerous thing as well. You can't just have one person. So bringing in three or four or five new people every year. So go contact people at Malmo GAA, Gotham GAA, Lulio, Yavla, Swedish Irish Society, Spuds and Sil and get you ourselves involved if you can right because we're absolutely dependent on you without you being involved in these things they just can't happen, right? We we need the man and woman power. We need people being involved in it. And I'm sure, you know, it's always a thing. You have election committees who are supposed to be going out there and looking around for uh, various different candidates, and it's always difficult. And you know what? Even if you don't feel up to it, it might be for you, right? They have what they call supplianger. Uh, I think they're called adjuncts or uh, th- that you would have on a, on a committee. And you could just get in there and do anything. You don't necessarily have to be the secretary or the chairperson or the, or the vice chair or whatever. You can just go there and be part of it and use your ideas and your energy and your enthusiasm for that you know so do try to get involved if you can and if you need if you don't know who to contact get in touch with me and i'll put you in touch with whoever i happen to know anyway listen that's enough out of me my jesus what, what was that 12 13 we're up to 13 minutes and we've only done the housekeeping look at let's get on with warren o'neill here i spoke to him there last week uh just as i said before the explosions happened in the nord stream gas pipelines a uh, fascinating story. For, again, like I said, everybody has an extraordinary story about how they got here and that. But what Warren is doing is very unusual. He came to my attention there on LinkedIn talking about electricity and prices and that kind of thing. So I decided to get him on to listen to. Uh, and I think you're going to enjoy it. Jesus, no, I'm not telling you, you have to. But here he is, anyway. Work it out for yourself. Warren, you're the CEO of uh, NABLA. Uh, can you just explain to me how you came to be in Sweden and how, how you came to start the company?
1: Yeah, so um, I met my wife um, about 10 years ago in uh, Germany, who's actually from Sweden. So she's from uh, this area, a, a town called Trollhättan, which is about an hour drive from, from Gothenburg. Um, it's a big centre
0: for Volvo, isn't
1: it? Yeah, yeah, and Saab as well. That was like a big uh, car manufacturing there. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, yeah, we decided first to try Ireland, so I, I got a got a job in Ireland, and um, so we moved from Germany to Ireland and lived there for for uh, about three and a half years, um, and then we were kind of thinking about well, got married in that time, and then we're thinking about starting a family, and and obviously like Sweden is kind of one of the the best places in the world to start a family, so we decided to to also try uh, living in in her uh, home country, so moved uh, here about three years ago, um. Yeah, and then started the company at the same time. So I kind of decided to, to leave my job and start a new new thing myself. Um, it was a good kind of chance with changing, with moving country and everything like that.
0: I'm just wondering because yeah. like the, the full name of the firm is Nabla Analytics yeah. AB, yeah. a
1: Limited Company, yeah. right?
0: So that would sort of, you know, give me the idea that you're the analytical type. What kind of thing did you look at before agreeing with your d- beloved wife to move to Sweden? Did you go, okay, I have to work out, you know, what am I going to do and that kind of thing? Did you take the analytical approach or where did love just blind you?
1: <laughs> but moving, well, I think the I think the biggest reason for moving to Sweden was because we wanted to start a family and then yeah. Comparing it to Ireland, you get—I don't know what it is now—but it's a couple of weeks' parental leave that's unpaid. I think it's the discretion of your employer as a as like the, the father. Yeah, um, I believe
0: I believe men get fifteen minutes. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> 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 and and then here it's yeah you share basically between as much as you want. So I think that was like a that was probably the the biggest kind of reason. Uh, but I also like we had had a, had a good few years in Ireland, but uh, as you know, it's kind of quite the the difference between quality of life is is massive, and I think. Mm-hmm. So there's been numerous crises in Ireland since I've been an adult that haven't been resolved. <laughs> so I think they're still ongoing. So I think, uh, yeah, I think it's, uh, unfortunately, like it gives you, sometimes you feel like you're being pushed away from Ireland, even though I'd love, to, you know, part big part of me would love to be still living there. But um, I think there's so many advantages of living here. So, and also obviously if half of the, the family is from here, then it's, it's not, it doesn't, it's uh, kind of easy to find reasons to come here.
0: Yeah, I mean, much and yeah. all as we love it, it just feels like a century of you know permanent crisis on going yeah. back home time times. Where are you from back in Ireland?
1: Uh, I'm from Limerick. From Limerick? Yeah. yeah.
0: And is there a sort of a, a large Limerick community there now in between Gothenburg and Trollhättan, that you hang out with there? Uh,
1: not really. I, I kind of bumped into one or two Irish people, but not, not that many, I'd say. i met, met probably more English people than Irish people. I um... can't be helped, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but uh no I should I, I mean usually it's like keep in touch with people friends who are in either back home or in different cities uh, but I guess one thing is that I moved here a couple of months before COVID started so I kind of only really feel like I'm actually living here and part of the city since I guess this summer you know because okay. we've been especially when having like the baby at home and stuff like that we didn't really want to be doing being outside the house too much or being doing too much socializing. So we've been kind of during COVID, obviously like we had to keep to ourselves. So I kind of feel like it's only kind of getting going now, now that the city's kind of got a bit more life into it and kind of everything's open again. So, Kind of only just feel like I almost just moved here in some way, even though it's been a few years. But yeah, um,
0: was that was that very difficult for you? Because I found it really difficult in the beginning. In terms of we lived out in Mashta, which is out by the airport here in Stockholm, so 30 40 kilometers outside of town, hard to get to yeah. at closing time, that kind of thing. And I felt really, really isolated when that happened. And I mean, you know, in arriving over at the start of a pandemic, I'm sure that sort of limited mm. your amount of social. Was that difficult for you, one? Uh,
1: well, I think I was lucky in some ways because some friends that I knew through my wife um, or also friends that we had actually made in in Berlin, they actually moved a few months before us um, at the same time. So I kind of had a few people that I knew from before moving and that were moving back. So kind of had the, already had a kind of network around me, which was good. Um, And I think, and I think also kind of being, you know, I got to start in a incubator here as well. And I also got to meet a lot of people kind of through there and um, who also like a lot of people who weren't from sweden as well like different backgrounds. so i think i think it was okay i think it obviously was harder because of covid but i think i think I, you know i think once the the baby was born it was kind of like full-on anyway so i think it would have made that much of a difference but I, I i think then kind of after um yeah after the we didn't know any different i guess or i didn't know any different because i kind of started as soon as i got here so i didn't really have much to compare it to but now obviously it's like so much easier and um kind of feel like I have my own kind of space carved out here as well. It's not just kind of at the start, I think, when you when you move with a partner, you're kind of living through the other person, but mm. eventually then you kind of find your own identity in your kind of new place, which was the same for her when you moved Harland as well. So mm. um no. It's it's a rotten feeling in the beginning, isn't it? That feeling of being
0: dependent on somebody because a letter hits the mat, you can't read the fucking thing. And you know, <laughs> it's like, you know, where do you get this? Where do I go for that kind of thing? But gradually you well, become... like, I
1: didn't get a I didn't get a bank ID for three or four months. Oh, um, which so I basically didn't exist <laughs> for a while. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't get a bank account. I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't even. I don't think I could even pay for the tram tickets on the app because I think you had to have a Swedish bank account or something like that. You, so I had you to. Have to use, yeah. I had to go use the machine and pay. pay which yeah. okay, it's not too bad. But I think it just simple things like that all kind of made like a uh, life a bit more. But but since
0: then you've learned it. that nobody pays for the tram tickets in Gothenburg anyway, have you? <laughs>
1: I do. Well I, good. I man. do, I, do when I when I answer on this uh, open podcast. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's so, one of those uh,
0: things that I, I have witnessed it before, especially late at night, you know, you don't get too many mm-hmm. people checking the tickets. Was it mm-hmm. was it always your ambition or your desire or your plan to start your own business when you got to Sweden, or had you already started it before you moved over?
1: Um I kind of had been consider I knew we were moving and I'd been considering it probably for a good while, let's say a year or maybe six months, um, that I really wanted to do my own thing. Um but I think I did look a bit at kind of what jobs are here, but to be honest, like for I'm 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 focused on energy trading. There's actually not that much here compared to other places. Is there not? Um yeah, so it's more like Denmark, for example, is the world leading country for energy trading. Like it's almost completely different. And in Sweden, it's more um these municipal energy companies. where every region has its own energy company, like Jutteburg Energy or Varberg Energy. Yep, um, all these so, ads, yeah. yeah, so it's a bit whereas in uh, like in Denmark you'd have like a couple of people that used to work together will start a trading company and once one of those pops up like every two months like then they're constantly these kind of more smaller data focused companies which are more kind of what my target customers um so I'm actually yeah the even on base here like all my customers are actually in other countries they're outside of Sweden so I'm only just now starting to look at uh customers in sweden so i'm starting to kind of make the products that i have now for, for the swedish market so i have some people testing uh the products at the moment but um yeah i think uh yeah it was a mixing like something i always wanted to do and also didn't really see too much interesting for me to do here uh at the time i think there's more going on now i think there's a, like a lot of big companies have kind of grown and there's more going on here and kind of energy trading and stuff like that but um yeah,
0: <laughs> and what do you what yeah. do you do that, that like the products that you sell? Do you sell your analysis? Do you sell news? So, do you sell?
1: Yeah, I, I started strategy? the I started as um as kind of a consultant company first. That was my original plan. Like I started the company by myself and I was going to do like seminars and uh, you know say reports and things like that. Um, so I did that for the first um probably six months, and then I kind of saw like some patterns of like customers wanted similar solutions or wanted similar data. And then I decided to do more software. So I basically collected data that I that thought was important for the, for trading the energy markets. And then I give uh, customers get access to that through monthly subscriptions. Mm-hmm. So I kind of changed kind of after the first yeah, half a year, we'll say. Um, so now it's more pretty much only doing the subscriptions. I do still do some consulting, but not that much. So, um, yeah. Yeah
0: do you find that easier because like you know sometimes with consulting i do a bit of consulting myself on the communications front and part of it is having to sort of be there in front of people and explain things to them but when you have a software solution you can mm-hmm. sell that to them and then you can go on to the next thing so do you find it yeah. easier now that you don't have to stand in front of them and explain i, don't,
1: I actually don't mind the, the actual like say giving the seminar or things like that the part that i didn't like was trying to hunt down new um like leads all the time, you know because with the subscriptions people sign up and then once they're signed up you know they pay every month i think having to constantly look for new clients through the consulting i think was the thing that that i did the part i didn't like Um, and also you're kind of given the same you might have to give the same seminar again and again like rather than building on it and you know Mm. if you make a product you can keep making it better and keep adding new things and getting feedback so i kind of prefer that side of it i also have i also have um yeah a lot of like coding experience as well so that obviously i can use that for doing the product as well
0: yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. I keep getting yeah. emails off these lads in India who want me to develop an app or a game or something. I've no idea what they want from me because it's not really my area of interest anyway. But but come here to me, the reason I wanted to get you on the podcast, right? Is because of the time of the year that's in it. And I saw you talking about these things at LinkedIn. I went, That's a very smart lad right there. He belongs in the Origins Reading Podcast. <laughs> Glad <laughs> oh, you're definitely doing something something right in the marketing front my friend but could you just explain for the uninitiated how the price of electricity is set in Sweden and why it might be different for me in Stockholm from you in Gothenburg to Mark Ratigan in Malmö
1: yeah um well it should be the Stockholm should be the same to me here it, it, there's there's four like different uh kind of price areas in Sweden which is actually very different to, to Ireland so we even though we have you know, we we have like Republic of Ireland, we have Northern Ireland, we have one price for the whole country, and mm. um, whereas in Sweden they've actually broken it up into four kind of distinct zones. Um, do, do you know I why think, they
0: did that? Because it's yeah, a bit I think hard.
1: sorry, yeah, I think the yeah original idea was that they wanted to incentivize generation to be built where there was higher prices. So say in the south now the prices are quite high, and they thought that that would. Mean that more wind would get built, or or say uh, some, or like a power plant would get built where the prices are high because they would obviously make more money from the high prices. But as far as I'm aware, the complete opposite happened because it was much easier to get things built in the north because there was less objection. So it's been a massive issue in Sweden that people are objecting to wind farms being built because I think a big reason is they don't like to look at them. (laughs) Or they kind of, there is some obviously some negative environmental effects, but they're quite minimal compared to other. types of uh, power plants stuff like that but um, I think so they basically they've had more wind built in the north and it just, there hasn't been this increase in the south to alleviate these kind of high prices now um, because the south is more densely populated so you kind of more people are probably complaining about them being built um, and they're, they're trying to also uh, do a lot more like kind of data centres and I think also heavier industry in the north so I think also potentially there's those companies are also financing the building of of wind parks as well and um, because you have a lot of companies who are yeah in that like companies who work with data centers too who are also getting involved in in financing generate like renewable generation as well it's yeah. kind of off, offset their demand so i think that kind of seems to have a really kind of thriving ecosystem up there where that really hasn't developed as much down here mm. um but the Stockholm and, and Gothenburg are in the same zone se3 and then malmo is in se4 uh Hopefully it's, I'm also new relatively new to the Swedish system, but I think so. SE the lat, the one in Malma is, is usually highest, and then SE three, where we are, is like second highest. And then the north and south, the, the other two ones, the one and two, are usually much, much lower, like very low prices. So yeah. um it's and mad think,
0: really when you think about it, yeah. because you think up north now, we're getting into the winter now. So obviously yeah. they're gonna need more electricity, and yet they're paying less for it than everybody else, you know, just because mm. of these things that you mentioned, you know? Yeah and yeah. um, what's the market like i remember being at Vattenfall about 20 years ago <clears throat> pardon me when the whole market was being deregulated it was then it was a state-owned company it was being sold off mm-hmm. and i was thinking to myself then that this is going to go mad you know because once you deregulate these things you're kind of letting a genie out of the bottle without exactly knowing what's going to happen so obviously mm-hmm. having worked in ireland haven't worked in germany what have you seen in the market over the last sort of you know over the course of your career that has changed
1: um, well, massive amounts of renewables being built. Like I think it, in Ireland, Ireland's probably one of the prime examples. Like we we have, we can have. I th- I think it's up to now seventy five percent of our demand at, at instantaneously coming from wind. Um, which is I think it's second only to Denmark or it's in the top top five anyway. Um, so I think, you know, obviously you have volatility with the markets, but that's also incentivizes a lot of, um, people to actually build out renewables or to build solar and wind and a lot of innovation as well. So. Um, I think, yeah, if it was century one or government run, you would have some security, but you probably wouldn't have any risk taking and anyone, like, probably not the same levels of, of wind that was built now and solar that was built, I think so. Um, there is obviously some downsides, but now I think with the market the way it is, for me, and I and I can see some people agree on this, like, this is the market behaving as it should behave, there's a crisis, there's a war, you know, it's obviously a, a, it's a reflection of that, so I think and it's also, it shows like we, you know, we didn't build up a resilient enough system. We should have had more renewables, batteries, and also like, you know, the, the decommissioning of all the power plants in Germany, the nuclear power plants in Germany has obviously had a big effect as well. Um, yeah. I'm not I'm not pro-nuclear in the long run, but I do think it's, it's, you know, a necessary kind of stepping stone to get where we want to go. Yeah. Um, and I think decommissioning ones that are already operational um, is just a bad idea. And I think people are kind of coming around to that idea now. I think there was much more people were anti nuclear um the last say 10 years but i think it's it seems to be changed opinion yet now that we've seen kind of when things get a bit out of control like that it's it'd be good to have that extra backup or extra generation
0: because mm-hmm. we saw yeah. that you now in the recent election campaign, warrant, yeah. there was a awful lot of talk about, oh, you know, yeah. I don't know if it's ringhouse one and two or whatever, yeah. but they were decommissioned, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Now that was, as far as I know, that was a business decision by the owners who said, yeah. look, it's, this is not going to work in the long run. But then yeah. it became a political football, and they were going, oh, yeah. we're going to start them up again. Now, as far <laughs> as I know, by law they can't actually do that. Yeah. So, but what effect, like, if you were to start them up again in the morning here, would we all of a sudden would our electricity bills go down by fifty percent, or is that just not how it works?
1: I, don't, I couldn't put a number on it, but they definitely would go down for sure. So I think I think they're probably close to about two gigawatts of capacity, which is like 10% demand of the entire country mm. to beat demand. So I think it would have like a pretty massive effect. But um, yeah, as I said, the reason they closed them down was, according to Vattenfall officially, was because it wasn't economical. So obviously if they had known there was going to be a massive energy crisis like a few years later, they probably would have kept them on, but like they didn't know that at the time. So I mean, you could you could argue maybe that the government should have incentivized them more to stay on, or maybe they if they wanted to just have them to remain operational in case of something. But I, I think it was overly politicized. Like there was a stage where you kind of felt like from the right side that like you know if they were asked about you know why is there increase in gang violence, they would have said it's because we shut down the nuclear plants. So kind of <laughs> felt like it was their answer to every single <laughs> issue at one stage. Like so, it kind of got a bit uh, got a bit kind of worn out after a while. But I I think. I think they are right in that it would definitely have, have made the whole system more secure. And that's also now in France. Like, a, I think half of their nuclear fleet is out, which has caused them massive issues in France and huge prices. But at the same time, they're closed now. So, what do we do now? Like, we're facing into winter is, is coming now. So, we should actually be figuring out like things we can do now as opposed to kind of lamenting a decision that was made in the past. Like, I think that was one. And that was one thing with the entire political debate. Like, not barely anyone had suggestions of what we're actually going to do now. It was more just this discussion about Ring Halls 1 and 2, like that we shouldn't have shut them down and why aren't they there, but it happened. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, I think it was be interesting to see what actual, like, real suggestions the new parties have now about what we can do. Because, well, I know it took a long time to, form the go- to actually decide the government or form the government last time, but if they can get in quickly, or they should really, since you know we're already coming up to October, so I think they need to actually kind of get things moving quick. So, but we'll see if they ha- have any good kind of realistic suggestions of what to do for the yeah. next few months.
0: And as if closing yeah. the first two wasn't enough, was it Ringhouse 3 that yeah. was taken down for maintenance during the summer and won't be back online now until the end of January? Do you have any idea what happened there, do you?
1: Yeah, they were supposed to come back, I think, November, and then it got extended by two months, which is pretty like December and January, obviously, are like very high demand months. Um, Apparently, they were doing a repair and they didn't like the instructions weren't good enough or they didn't read them properly or something like that. And they actually made another fault or they broke something else, which is kind of insane to considering how it feels like the whole system's on a knife edge at the moment. You think they would have been a bit more cautious with that. So it's been, they've updated their systems now for doing the repair or whatever the instructions now to make sure it doesn't happen again, but it's actually, it was like a fault of the repairs that they did. They broke something else or something like that. So,
2: yeah.
1: Um, yeah. Portion, that's, that's a big blow, like it's a big blow because that's obviously like a very crucial. And it's also ring house is in SE3, which is one of the regions that's having all the issues with the high prices. So it's like pretty critical that it's here as well. So mm. um yeah, we'll see. I mean, this is also kind of like was also a lot of discussion in the in the election was that oh Sweden was a net exporter this year and we're sending all energy to Europe and stuff like that, but France was like that the high or sorry. Sweden was the highest next ex- exporter in Europe. I think. Um, so fr- France was the year before and was always near the top, but basically because they had all these outages in nuclear, like they actually became like a net importer. So mm. I think, you know, people are using the argument like, oh, we, we have so much generation, like we should be keeping on to ourselves. But like France had the same, they were also like, and then this, uh, the whole like the whole point of this connected system in Europe is that if one person has an issue then we're you know everyone else comes steps up and like provides yeah. their extra resources to them so I think the same thing could happen in Sweden if they if ring, the other ring halls went out then maybe we we're going to be dependent on getting energy from other countries so I think there was one kind of, that was also in, even on the left side like a bit of a lack of solidarity with with uh, the rest of Europe I think in terms of like uh, keeping more energy for in Sweden or not exporting energy Um mm-hmm. but I think that's kind of you know if you help out, it'll, you'll probably get helped out later on if you're having issues. So I think it's a bit more of a kind of comes back to as well. Yeah.
0: The actual yeah. price itself, Warren, because I was reading somewhere where it's a very convoluted system that decides the price that you and I pay at our meter mm. or under the stairs or in our apartment, right? Mm. And it has to do with the highest, most recent price uh, that was paid. Can you explain how that works at the, at the consumer, the business level? What is it that decides exactly how many crowns I have mm. to pay when I turn on the immersion?
1: Well, I guess it, it depends a bit on if you're if you're like on a fixed contract or if you're on these like rolling contracts. Um, so if there's people listening from Ireland, like it's not as common these like rolling contracts where they, you actually get the exact market price. Mm. Here, they're very popular, but I think in Ireland, I don't think too many people offer them. It's usually like a fixed price or where you get like a rate per kilowatt hour or something like that. Um, but if you're on a fixed contract, they usually offer you a price based on what they can see is being traded in the futures market so that they can like lock in a price for you for the next year, say. Mm. And they, they've they kind of traded in the market so they take away their risk. It's almost like getting insurance for them. So then that tells them like what they can offer you for a fixed contract. But if, if you're on the rolling contract and you get the market price, then um, it's based off the what clears in the day ahead market. Um, so this is a market that's an auction market that's across the whole of Europe. And um, so Ireland has the exact same system and they're all coupled together through the interconnectors. Um, so that was actually, the Irish market changed, uh, God, I don't know exactly how many years ago, but they, was it five or six years ago? And they, um, the reason for the market change was that it, because we were coupled at the time to Europe through the UK, we actually had to change the market to go to this system because that was a rule that we all had to be coupled in this way. Um, so that basically, you everyone puts in what they want to buy and what they want to sell into this algorithm. And it tries to what they say is like maximize social welfare, which is like, um, maximize the profit for the generators and minimize the cost for the people who are buying it, the, the consumers kind of, mm. um, and then it picks like basically a clearing price, which is like the last generator and um, used to kind of satisfy the demand. So often that's gas and that's why you see often very high prices because the gas prices are gone so high. Mm. Um, but that's kind of being debated a bit in Europe now that they want to not just take this last plant, but maybe take an average of all the plants that are on because you'll have wind that are basically will sell for anything over zero. And there, but even though the price might clear at, you know, a couple of hundred euro per, per megawatt hour, like the, the wind might actually be selling wind sell for zero. So, mm. um, but that, that price space is what will go into a rolling contract. Um, that makes, that makes
0: sense. but essentially what we're saying it's is that n- when we created this market the source of the electricity doesn't actually make a whole lot of difference right to, to the price because it still works on this system that whatever the last thing was and mm. it's usually something that came from gas therefore yeah. it doesn't matter if it's wave power or wind power or solar mm. power that in inverted commas cost nothing you know mm. we still end up paying these prices would it, would it like is it kind of feels like something more that could be solved with the stroke of a pen if the EU or whoever controls this market decides you know what we're going to calculate this in a different way and I know an academic in Malmo has suggested the same thing that like mm. you know we need to change how this is done and we need to go and price it based on the source is that something mm. that that you see as being a possibility or is that just you know lefty rubbish pie in the sky thing? They've
1: been EU has done made some proposals where they want to cap the price that. um I think it's non gas generation can make like wind and nuclear. So I think uh, uh, the cap is either 200 euro or 180 euro. So basically they can't make more than that, Mm. which would actually like reduce the cost for the consumers. Um, There's a lot of suggestions floating about, but I think there's a lot of also unintended consequences that people probably don't foresee. Mm. Um, And I think one issue that a lot of people flag would, if you are, if you artificially bring down the prices, then you de-incentivize turning down demand. So maybe, You know, the high prices also means that maybe people might move. I've even seen this in Sweden. People have moved production to nighttime instead of the daytime because they save so much on the energy costs. Yeah. Whereas if you start kind of like capping it, then you might actually increase our demand from gas because you've actually reduced the prices and maybe people are going to continue behaving as normal. Yeah. So it's kind of, it's a very like, it's a really complex nonlinear system. So if you move one piece, like you don't know what effect it's going to have, like on some other parts. So I think, I think, Very hard to come up with a solution that isn't going to have like unintended negative consequences. So, yeah, (laughs) because
0: that was my next question. It was like, right, Warren, you're on the spot. What is the solution? Is it just fucking throw up a windmill everywhere you see one? Or is there (laughs) like, you know, or would that just end up being sort of sold off to Europe at the same price and somebody making a huge profit somewhere?
1: I think, I think there's no like silver bullet. I think, and I think this was also highlighted by some of the parties in the recent debate. Like, we need everything, like, you know, okay, nuclear is great, but we also need wind and we need batteries and we need to. Keep building more solar as well, and also make our demand more flexible. Um, so if you could like, if you had um, you know, some way of shifting your demand, then I think that would be like that helps the market a lot and also helps bring the prices down. Um, but I and think do also, mean, do you mean the,
0: shifting demand during the day or shifting demand yeah. from place to place?
1: Uh, for, during the day, so like using say more like say running your washing machine like off peak instead of peak hours, um, or things like that. Um, so I think. I think at the same time, I don't feel like the owner should be on people or the people should be properly incentivized to do that, I think. So I think that's one thing the government could help do is actually pay people to shift their demand rather than just them saving money on their their bill, Like, but actually paying them to move around. Because I think, you know, if you're comparing it to what it could cost the government, if people don't change your behavior, like they could pro- would probably be cheaper for them to pay people to to move around their demand um, yeah. rather than than expect them to do it themselves. But um I mean, I think, I think we have to do everything we can. Like I think we need much more generation and much more flexibility. So I think, I think it's there's no really one answer to that, unfortunately. But, um, and I think they're trying to find ways of of streamlining the process process of getting the wind farms built because that's been such a huge obstacle as the objections. Mm. Um, so Ireland, we have all we also had like a lot of objections too. But I feel like it's kind of people have accepted a bit more and have, and also what's happened a lot in Ireland is these community led projects. So basically a group of people in an area can actually go in all together and into investing in a wind farm and then they get like a payoff, mm. almost like buying a stock, like where you actually get like there bonds or something like that, where they actually get paid, they get money for it every year and they own it. So they're actually like invested in it. So obviously you're not going to mind seeing a wind farm if you know that you're actually making, it's making you money out of it. Yeah. Um, and I think, uh, Seen a recent project in Donegal where their fishermen got together with a Swedish company actually to build an offshore uh, wind park. Um, oh. I think in Killy Lakes, I think. Yeah. yeah, sounds so, about right. Yeah, yeah. So, but I think the yeah having the actual community invested as opposed to instead of seeing it as like the enemy, if you're actually a part of it, I think that's a great way to change like mindset. So, would like to see something similar uh, being done here. Hmm. I often
0: ask, would you rather see a wind farm or an extra zero in your electricity bill? You know, it's a great way of focusing the mind. You know, well,
1: or like nuclear waste under underneath your feet. <laughs>
0: yeah, but that, that goes back even in the in the eighties. Like you know, there was a great the CND, the campaign for nuclear disarmament, and then you know, nuclear power has to go. And how do we deal with this and that? You know, but um, come here to me. This thing of renewables, right? I was in America recently, and I was flying from Los Angeles to Las Vegas, and there's a huge amount of desert there with nothing but sun. And I was thinking. Mm. Why isn't this covered in solar panels? So I wanted mm. to ask you, yeah, yeah. I mean, is there a limit to what we can do with renewables or is that what we should be doing? Like, you know, wind farms, mm. anywhere we can have them and solar panels on top of everything that moves.
1: Uh, well, I wouldn't say anywhere because you need, if you build it in the middle of nowhere, you need to get a cable <laughs> that brings that to where That's people very are. True, so, yeah. so I think in the desert, if you had a good way of storing it, then then um, it would be great. But I, people are looking into hydrogen now, but I've seen... I'm pretty skeptical about it and for that usage. I've seen a lot of quite a lot of people criticizing that as as, as a good use for for hydrogen. Um, so I think I mean that's also part of this problem with Sweden. If if you had unlimited capacity from the north to the south, the whole country would have the exact same price. So yeah. these price differentials only come about because they can't bring any more energy from the north to the south. There's no room on the cables. Yeah. Um, so I think that as well as the actual building more generation, it's a big issue now is actually building more grid. Um, which has been, you know, people argue it's been a bit neglected here in Sweden. That's why you have also these big differentials in prices So,
0: How hard um, is it to build out the grid, Warren? Is that, we'll have to dig up every road in the country again? Is it? I think I think it's
1: very hard for people to plan for the future because you have things like people talk about local grids that, that maybe we don't need to build big infrastructure because maybe we're going to, you know, all the generation will be co-located with where people are. And, and you actually have in, in um, like in... Some countries in Africa, because they didn't have as big of a grid infrastructure as in Europe, they're actually doing way more advanced stuff in terms of doing local grid and storage because they're actually starting without this kind of legacy grid to build on. So, um, so whereas we kind of have to figure out, yeah, it's a bit hard to figure out how to invest because of the, it's so many uncertainties in the future. And I think there's a lot of focus on, I guess, just keeping things stable. So that kind of leads to a lot, a lot of the people who manage the grid not really trying to be innovative or doing new things because they just want to keep things running over mm-hmm. or ticking over. But um,
0: you're also sort of wedded to a legacy system. It's like it's been there for maybe a hundred years or more. Like some yeah. parts of it or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. And that whole thing, uh, that, just very briefly, that whole thing of transferring from one area of the country to the other because there's sort of different technologies involved there. That's another sort of um, mm-hmm. a sort of a hurdle on the way, is it?
1: Um, yeah. Well, I think that's. I think, I guess it's kind of similar from Sweden and Ireland that we have more wind where there's less people
2: yeah. because
1: obviously it's, you can't really build wind in the middle of a city. So um, th- th- there's always the issue of bringing it from one place to another. And we have quite a lot of curtailment in Ireland too, um, because there's sometimes it's just too much generation or where the wind is. There's so much generation, but not any people to use it. So we have to actually like turn down the wind a lot of the time. So um, it's been a, Part that has been less focused on, I guess, in the kind of public discussions, because it's uh, maybe it's not as uh, exciting. But yeah, I think uh, it's also like an essential part with building the generation is actually figuring out like how to get it from A to B. Um, mm-hmm. And I think there is, you know, I, I think batteries have been kind of growing now really rapidly the last while, and and, and also in Ireland we've had quite a lot of built in the last like few years. Um, so I think that that does solve a bit of the puzzle, but I think then it's it's figuring out, I guess. For for longer storage because there's you can only store the, the energy in the battery for so long. But I think uh, I think that's definitely a key piece of the puzzle as well. Mm. Yeah. Uh,
0: what can we do on a personal level, Warren? I always t- hate trying to you know put it into that context, you know. But I mean, should I be putting solar panels on my house or my apartment? Should I be trying to drive an electric car? You know, at mm. the moment we're all I'm sure we're all turning off the lights now in the kitchen when we're not in there and that kind of thing. Mm. Is that the kind of thing, or is there more that we could be doing?
1: Um... <laughs> I mean, there's always more to be doing, but I guess for me, I i prefer to put the, the focus on kind of government or bigger organizations because I think they obviously have much more power to control what happens. But I think individually, um, if you're on like a, if you have ability to like shift around stuff you use at home, like the washing machine or things like that, then, and if you're on a kind of, if you're on a contract that actually benefits you by doing, doing it later rather than doing it in peak hours, um, then obviously, yeah, you should definitely do that. Um electric car, I guess the best would be don't drive at all or take public transport yeah. <laughs> or cycle. I think is like much better than having an electric car. Obviously, if you have to drive, then it, then it is much better to have an electric car than a than a petrol car. Um uh then yeah, from that. Um <laughs> I had something I wanted to say for this, but um but you oh, you reckon yeah. that it's more yeah.
0: really at the sort of the governmental the state level that you know we can do our bit, but the big changes really have to happen at a sort of an infrastructural level, and that's kind of governments and big mm. organisations that will yeah. have to do those things. Yeah,
1: uh, I think well, I think there's a limit. I think yeah, what you can do individually, obviously, you, you should do what you can, and I think there's been a massive explosion now when people had. Have- uh build, having solar panels on the roof I think they actually can't even produce them fast enough to, to satisfy the mm-hmm. demand. So I think there's things like that that are that obviously if you can afford it and if you have your if you have a house as opposed to an apartment then uh I think those are those are good steps. Um but I think what's happening now is that consumers are getting more proactive and they're actually being aware of say the market prices in terms of the you know cha- changing when they charge their car and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um so I think I think it's there is a bit more power shifting to the consumer and, and what influence they can have in their bills and stuff like that. But um, I think if people want to save money if they're on a fixed contract, they probably should just stay on that fixed contract. Cause I, we actually got a letter a month ago to said that our contract is coming to an end and they wouldn't offer us a fixed contract. We had to actually call them or email them to get an offer like it wasn't something that they wanted to do. They're they're trying mm-hmm. to move everybody onto these rolling places to to kind of take away their risks. But um yeah. What yeah. what did you do?
0: Did you get a fixed contract? Because I'd imagine whatever fixed price they're offering at the moment is still gonna be fairly juicy, isn't it?
1: Well there's it's the the contract's coming to an end next month, so they won't and they're not offering me the price anymore. So <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> they have they're signing me onto a new one or signing me onto a rolling contract. So um yeah, I think people are still, I mean, people are still offering the fixed contracts and it does like secure you against if anything goes very, very wrong in the winter. So yeah, it probably could be a good option. Um I think if you can't like if you actually can't influence your demand that much if you're in a partnership of that, maybe the fixed contract is better, but um I haven't looked too much actually what's on the market yet to see the different
0: prices but I was only thinking while I was talking to you I have a couple of days because we have a little summer house as well and I remember getting the contracts sorted out when we got that house and I remember taking fixed contracts on both where we live in Stockholm and then the little summer house outside of Stockholm as well jeez I have to go back and have a look at that because God only knows what they're charging me by this stage you know but compared to me war in Ukraine winter is coming as they say in Game of Thrones where do you think all this is going to end up you know when can we expect to not have to worry about our electricity bills and the way that we do at the moment again
1: well uh it might it might solve this, this is not probably a very uplifting answer but it might solve itself when the like recession that everybody keeps talking to happen so <laughs> so there was like You're a ray right, massive... right
0: of sunshine down there today <laughs>
1: <right>? <laughs> there was a massive dip in demand electricity demand in in i think most countries in europe after recession so i think uh i think what if, what, if prices come down they could come down very fast i think so um but <laughs> Look, if you were looking at it more optimistically I think there's been prices did come down when when some of these EU suggestions came out for changes they wanted to make and mm. um, so that actually did have an effect about ca- calming the market a bit um but and a lot of people also think it's overpriced now what people are trading for winter because I think not not many trades have actually gone through so the prices maybe don't reflect really what it what it's worth so um I mean I mean best would be like a resolution to the to the war but it seems to keep kind of gets even further and further away so um it's yeah perfect. i mean it's decreasing our reliance on gas i mean it's a shame like uh, i mean it, it's been we've been we're kind of shows how like weak our system was or how we we were, were on one quite volatile supplier of like of gas from russia so mm. i think that was kind of we're kind of suffering now because of that so i think yeah diversifying where we where our sources are and also decreasing our reliance on fossil fuels i think we have to like it's i think it's kind of was very obvious from like a climate side for a very long time now and now it's very obvious for a lot of other reasons in terms of economic reasons and also for for security and things like that so i think you know i'd hope that this is seen in a positive way i hope this is like a kickstart to actually doing more because i think we've done a lot but i think we can do obviously so much more and i think it's it's uh you know seeing how we kind of adjusted our 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 lifestyles and stuff for COVID in reaction to that I think we kind of need to do something similar now for for where we are now the climate mm-hmm. crisis and also now with the the kind of energy crisis as well so yeah.
0: It's mm. a sort of an expensive but a very valuable lesson that, you know, whereas mm. we we didn't really take the warnings before, we didn't di- diversify, mm. war breaks out, all of a sudden we end up all paying through the nose for energy. Mm. But do you think that those lessons will be learned at the, the governmental level, at the EU level, or do you see evidence that, you know, they're kind of, you know, giving in a little bit to, you know, I mean, gas is finite, all these fossil fuels mm. are finite, but that they're going to squeeze the last bit out of that before they actually make a serious go at renewables?
1: I mean, I think a lot a lot has been done. Um, like, I think a, and a lot of renewables have been built, so there's a lot of positive things, but um, kind of, it's hard to see, like, how we can, we're so dependent on gas as, as, well, they're calling it, like, a transition fuel, like, to get to 100% renewable or 100%, you know, zero emissions. So I think um, it's hard to see how we get away from that other than building nuclear, but then that takes a, a very long time, so it's kind of hard to see how we'd have that, now and then people are putting hope on hydrogen which is kind of doesn't seem to be too promising so it's it's hard to see how we get away from it other than trying to take it from different countries or if we start if we start taking you know doing our own exploration again in europe like you know there's probably a lot of stuff that was kind of stopped or so which is you kind of don't want to see happen again but mm. it's hard to see how we get off gas in the short term um at the moment so yeah but i think I th- I think there what's good is there's a demand from the public now, which was probably new. Um, and I think, you know, I think people were pretty skeptical. Oh, I say that. I say that, <laughs> I say that and, and the winning party was or one of the winning parties was like basically just saying terrible things about wind energy the entire election campaign. So maybe I'm being too optimistic. But I think in 50% of the public or 55% of the public, there's a strong, you know, people are uh you know, there's actually demand for it, and they want to see it happen at the top level. So, I think that that's a good thing, and I think politicians going to have to answer that as well. Or, you know, that's what people want to see from them. So,
2: yeah.
0: Um, and yeah. where can people find your work, Warren? Do you only work with sort of big customers who pay, uh, hopefully, hundreds of thousands of euro a month for your expertise, or is it something <laughs> that can be accessed by the common man and woman in the street? Uh,
1: at the moment, it's, it's yeah, like a business to business. So, I sell to, uh, to trading companies. Um, so they'd be. Yeah, some of them would would actually supply energy to end consumers. Like, so they would actually, you know, everyday people would be like a customer of them. Uh, mm-hmm. But at the moment, I'm more focused on on that side of things. I I have considered making like free versions of the products I have to put online so people can kind of keep an eye on what's uh, what's going on. But I haven't I haven't decided to, to do that yet. But maybe maybe in the near future. <laughs>
0: The company is called Nabla Analytics, or oh Uh The man behind it is called Warren O'Neill. Go find him on LinkedIn. Adam, don't spam him now, folks. Don't go send him a whole lot of bullshit <laughs> about developing apps from India. But certainly follow him because I started following him there and it's taught me an awful lot about the electricity market. And I hope you got just as much out of it. Warren, for now, thanks so much for speaking to me.
2: Yeah, thanks very much, Philip. In 1946, one of the most important pieces of our national planning was put underway when work was begun on rural electrification. This is a scheme to bring the benefits of power to the large but scattered communities living outside the towns and villages. A large undertaking, it involves the raising of one and a half million poles to carry thousands of miles of cable. This rural network will eventually supply over a quarter million farms and other dwellings. More than a third of these consumers have already been connected and working parties are constantly in action pushing the job to completion in all parts of the country. The scheme will mean an easier way of life in rural homes and not only by giving heat and light. The drudgery of pumping and carrying water will gradually disappear as the electric pump brings modern sanitation to thousands of isolated dwellings. There
0: you go, that was the wonderful Warren there and lads, the whole world has gone mad because this episode was supposed to be out on Monday morning. But uh, the original file just went nuts and there was no music and there was no interview and there was no nothing. And now when I go back and I try to re-record a little bit, of it, which is my favourite podcast microphone for when I'm on the move, uh, that's gone busted. Uh, the new one that I bought for doing other bits and pieces that won't work either. So I don't know what it is. I think the gremlins, the ghost that got into the machine, is uh, it's not really in a hurry to see this episode go out and see the light of the day. But what do you know? What I am, I am absolutely in a hurry to get this out there because I owe it to Warren and I owe it to everybody else to get it out there. Um. There was uh, much of, as you can imagine, much of this podcast is sort of unscripted. I tend to have a few bits and pieces uh, that I want to tell you about. And we've gotten through a lot of the housekeeping this week. If there's something that I was supposed to bring or that I mentioned to you that I might uh, have on the podcast this week and I haven't done it, give me a quick reminder, right? Because I don't have the time to go back over the whole podcast and make sure that everything is exactly as it should be. We want to get it out there because it's now after lunch on Monday and Kevin Carroll will be going mad in his little van there. And poor El Claire won't have uh, anything to listen to on I walk back from work. So we're trying to get it out there in a good time but you listen we'll fire it up there in the internet for your listening and singing and dancing pleasure and uh, we'll leave it at that for this week and I'll talk to you again next week and in the meantime I'm going off to buy a shitload of new microphones and bits and pieces and see if I can't sort my little life out but have a great week wherever you are look after yourselves look after one another look after Warren if you see him look after your electricity bills and sure we'll talk to you all again soon mm-hmm.